0: Good stuff. If you've got, um, your Bibles, why don't you turn to, um, the book of Ephesians, chapter two, and we're going to be picking it up in verse 11. My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at Kings. It's a real privilege to be speaking um, today to you and continuing the Ephesians Preach series. It was also a real privilege going to India with the team, Um, just such a a great opportunity to serve the guys there and uh, absolutely thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, everything God was doing. Um, The passage we're going to be looking at this morning deals with the whole problem of hostility. So what Sam was speaking about last week in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 also picked up the problem of hostility but that was between people and God and he looked at the whole way in which because of the wonderful good news that we find in Jesus Christ that hostility that we used to find between us and God has been dealt with. Jesus Christ dealt with it. It's no longer a problem. We are now free to come before him. We're no longer enemies, but we are friends. We're no longer slaves, but we are sons. And all that has been achieved because of what Jesus Christ has done. Well, what Paul then goes on to in Ephesians chapter 2, as we push into verse 11, is we look at the whole subject of hostility, but not between us and God, but between us and other people. Because if you look around, you don't have to look very far to realise that there is quite a big problem of hostility in the world. You only have to, I don't know, look at nations that are warring with each other, or, or if they're not outright at war with one another, they, there's a cold war going on. Do you know what I mean? We, we just don't like you. You even find it, don't you, you don't have to look very far to see war going on within nations. So they, they can't agree even with themselves, and so they're fighting each other. You don't actually even have to look that far away to see hostility. Some of you may even recognise it in your own families. So that closest family unit, there's hostility there. I think they say, don't they, that Christmas is one of the most tense times of the year because that's when families spend the most time together and they can't really handle it. You might find there's hostility on your street where you live. There, there is with us. We know a few doors down where, where neighbours are warring. There's hostility everywhere you look. Do you know what? There's hostility in the church. We're not immune to it. That's why Paul wrote what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. I was doing some deep research in the Daily Mail about this. And I've learnt a new word. So I'm going to tell you the word. And I want you to tell me what it means, okay? The word is granimosity. Granimosity. Have you ever come across that word before? Let me spell it for you. G-R-A-N-I-M-O-S-I-T-Y. Anyone got idea? any idea on what granimosity means? Oh, you're getting close. Oh, disliking your grandparents, you're getting close, but it's, it's not quite that. Let me, let me inform you. So if you don't learn anything from the Bible today, you'll have learned something from the Daily Mail, okay? Granimosity refers to the hostility that opposing grandparents feel. I bet you didn't know there was actually a word for it. Let me read you some quotes. My grandchildren's other grandma is unbelievable, wrote one Net correspondent. She is so determined to be the most popular grandma that she spends a fortune on toys, clothes, holidays and activities. I know there is an element of competition because if we give them anything that takes their fancy, you can bet a week later she has bought them the gold-plated version. Another grandma said this. I'd always set my heart on being called grandma, but my son-in-law's mother stole it from under me. She insisted it was what her other grandchildren already called her, but I'm convinced she simply coached them to spite me. So even between lovely old grannies, you find hostility. You find it everywhere. All, you find it all over the place. And like I say, church is no exception. Paul wrote the next chapter near enough to deal with a deep-rooted hostility that could exist within the church. And it was between two groups. For us right now, we might think we, we don't get it. It's, it's quite a technical bit in the Bible actually, so I'm going to do my best to explain it. But there's two groups within the church that were Naturally, in the natural, hostile to one another. One group was Jewish Christians. Those who came from Israel or had Jewish parents. They, they had all the promises of God as we're going to look at. They were one group in the church. But the other group within the church were, were non-Jews, Gentile Christians. And they had none of the heritage, they had none of the background. And there was a real danger within the early church that separation would happen Because they came from such different backgrounds. Now we don't face that particular problem ourselves here. I don't believe that we do. But actually we all bring baggage in from our past. We bring in our preferences. We bring in our family backgrounds. We bring in our cultures. We just bring in our personalities. And if we're not careful, we can allow hostility to grow up among us. Little groups to occur. I do like this, but I don't like that. And so it's really important that we deal with this passage well this morning. So we're going to look at the whole subject of going from hostility to peace. We're going to spend a bit of time looking at what the passage says. We're going to split it into three sections. And then I'm going to look to apply it. We're planning to do bread and wine because I think what better way can we, in dealing with hostility can there be than taking bread and wine together? And I really think that God wants to set some of us free from unforgiveness and stuff like that. So you up for that? Excellent, let's pray. Lord, I, I just ask you, would you anoint me with your Holy Spirit? I thank you that you, you say, actually, that when I feel at my weakest, Lord, there's the greatest possibility for you to move. And so I just ask for your grace as I preach today. But I also ask, Holy Spirit, would you do a deep work in our hearts and lives today? I pray this would not just be a matter of our minds being informed, but I pray our hearts would be touched. Lord, that we'd be drawn closer to you and closer together. I ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so in the passage, the first thing we see is we see there is a problem of hostility. It says in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, that is non-Jews, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, so that was the Jewish people, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul is writing these two verses in particular to the Gentile, to the non-Jewish Christians in the church. And what he's doing is he's talking about the hostility that existed. He's talking about the divide that occurred between these two groups of people. And just have a look at some of these words that are pretty negative. He says, you were separated from God. Before, before you came to know Christ, you were separated from God. You were a long, long way away from him. You were alienated from God's people. So you, so you weren't part of God's people. You were far, far away. You were strangers from the covenant promises. Israel had covenant promises, but, but if, you, if you were non-Israelite, you didn't have those. You were far away. And he sums it all up by saying this, having no hope and without God in the world. So that is the situation. And I would imagine for pretty much 98% of us here, that was our situation before we came to know Christ. Let me just lay it out for you. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. That's the situation that we find ourselves in. We were in hostility towards God. You may not have been particularly aware of it, but you were living for yourself. You were living for your own dreams and your own visions. You didn't care about God and you were in hostility to him. You were in a bad, bad position. That's the situation you found yourself in. There was a hostility. But it's interesting as well, and I want to labour this point here just for a moment before I move on. There wasn't just a hostility between non-Jewish Christians and God. There was a hostility that existed between Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. There was a hostility, there was a a, a difference between them. It says in verse um, 14, that there was a dividing wall of hostility that existed. Now, I'm going to quickly look for some volunteers. Well done, Kevin and Tracy. So good to see you put your hand to about there, which was enough. So you come up on the stage. I need you... Actually, no, Sam, you're Greek. You can play your proper role. I need someone who's looking priest-like. Who's looking priestly? Dan, you look priestly. You've got a cross on, so you come up. Brilliant. So it talks here about... No, no, you've got to stay down. You are not allowed up here. You're a Greek. You've got to stay down here. Right. Okay. So there is a dividing wall of hostility that Paul mentions in verse 14. And where he's, what he's talking about here, he's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. You see, the temple in Jerusalem had a place where the priests could go. So Dan, follow me. There was a court in the temple. There was a court in the temple for the priests. So Dan is a priest, he's got his cross on, everything is good. Kevin, you come here. There was a court in the temple as well, where the Israelite men could go. So you were able to come here. You couldn't go there, but you could come here. Tracy, there was a place in the temple where the Israelite women could go as well. And what there was, was from this, and it was all on the same level. Can you see? So this is the temple in Jerusalem, the place where God's presence was. Dan was doing his priestly stuff up here. Do priestly stuff, please. Excellent. (laughs) Kevin was doing sort of Israelite male stuff here. You do that, yep. And Tracy was doing Israelite ladies things here, whatever they may be. And they were all on the same level at the top of the mountain where the temple was. From, from this level, there were five steps down, and then there was a wall. It's one and a half meters high. From that wall, there was another 14 steps down. If you were not an Israelite, if you were not a priest, an Israelite man, an Israelite woman, you could come into the courts at the bottom of the temple. So stand up, Mr. Greek man. So this is Santino. He is a non-Jewish um, man. He cannot... He cannot venture up the 14 steps. He cannot come past this meter and a high wall. He cannot come up the five steps. He cannot come up to where God dwells by his presence. He has to stay on the outside. This court went right the way around the temple. So forever you could look up at it, but you could never get into it. And on top of this wall, there were, there were lovely friendly signs saying, trespassers will be prosecuted trespassers will be executed. So, so if a non-Jewish person went into the temple and it was found out, they would be dragged out and they would be stoned. There was a great hostility that existed between Jews and non-Jews. And to be quite honest, it went both ways. Thank you so much for uh, um, illustrating that. I thought your priestly stuff, Dan, was wonderful. I think you have, a, I think you have an acting career in front of you. There was this separation that existed. There was a hostility. Now, I'm going to read this out, and I think I may get complaints. But I will read it out because I think it reinforces this hostility. This is what John Stott says. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were the object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral for that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Now, I'm not certain that's how every single person within the nation thought. I'm sure it wasn't. But there was great hostility. There was great division. And it was no better the other way. If you saw what, some of the, what the Romans did to, to the Jewish nation as well, that was, that was equally horrendous. There was, there was great hostility between the two, but they were both joining one church. They were both playing a part in one church. There was a problem of hostility. As we move on now, we see the solution to this hostility that existed. So if you turn in your Bibles, verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in its ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two and so make peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What is the solution to such inbuilt hostility? How could it be that men and women from such different backgrounds... How could they form one new people in God? How is it possible? But now, but now in Christ Jesus, he is the solution. It's found in coming to Christ. Whether you're far off or whether you're close at hand, the only solution is in Christ Jesus. And I love this phrase. It is is so, I think in some ways it's, I'm going to use a phrase that only Sam uses really. It's such a beautiful phrase. It says this, um, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us was far away from God. And the way we've been brought near is not our good works, It's not that we're now kind to people. It's not that we've changed our mind. The way we come near to God is by Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice for our sin. It was his spilt blood that has enabled us to come close. We were once far away from God and we were once far away from other people. But Christ Jesus has brought us near through his blood spilled on the cross. If you've been following through this series with us, you'll notice that Sam probably picked it up last week. I mentioned it twice in the first two preaches. In the end, Christianity has nothing without Jesus Christ. Good, good children's work is fine. Some lively worship, that is okay as well. Some friendships and community, that can be Good. Some of the projects we do in serving the poor are wonderful. But in the end, the centre of it is the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, his spilt blood that removes the barrier. It breaks down the hostility. It's not just hostility between us and God, it's hostility between me and my neighbour. It's all been broken down because of what Jesus Christ has done. I mean, look at the strength of this. It says in verse 16, the second half, thereby killing the hostility. That's a strong word. You don't think you don't hear that in church. Hostility has been killed in Jesus Christ. Hostility between me and God and hostility between me and my neighbour. That's what it's about. And I think, I don't know, in the wisdom of God, I don't know. But I, think, I wonder if this is an example, and you might think it's quite difficult. Some of this language is quite technical. But the point I want to make to you today is, look, in the natural, the Jew and the Gentile were very hostile to each other. They they were so separated. Yet in Christ Jesus, they were brought near to become one new person in Christ. Therefore, whatever the differences that exist between us, based on culture, background, education, age, preferences, personalities, it doesn't matter what they are, they are not as big as their differences, but in Christ one new person was formed. So for us how much more, how much more must we make sure that in church and in how we handle and deal with people on the outside that we do not allow hostility to linger? Jesus came in order to kill hostility. Now I know we're Christians. We aren't hostile to anyone. Oh, silly person that you are. You know, we've got it worse, actually, in this this regard. You see, because we're Christians, we hide it, and we dress it up, and we try and make it look nice. But in reality, we have all the same feelings that everyone else has of hostility. We just hide it. Because you can't swear at someone because that's unchristian. So you just talk about them behind their back. We have all the same challenges, but Christ came to deal with it. He came to break it down. He smashed it in order that these things will not be a problem. The last, the last few words, it says this, um, verse 17, For through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father, whatever your background, whatever your difference. So what is the result of peace? What is the result? The result is peace. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place, For God, by the Spirit. The result is peace. Jesus came to bring peace. And when he says peace, he's not just talking about the absence of conflict. It's so much more than that. If you look in these um, verses, you'll find three metaphors, three pictures of what God has done, this peace that he has brought. The first one, he says, is the church, God's people are now a family. So we were once far away. We once didn't like each other, just as a people. You, just, I mean, just have a look around. Just quickly. No, no, don't, don't look at me. Look around. Where else in Hastings at this point in time will you find babies that have just been born and people in their 90s? Where will you find children and teenagers? Where will you find people from different, um, different backgrounds, different nations, but different cultures? Where will you find them all gathered together for about a two-hour period in order to come together? They share life together. Where else? Nowhere else. You're a reflection of the wisdom and the grace and the mercy of God. God bringing people from such diverse backgrounds, not, not just to sit here for a couple of hours, but to do life together. I've clearly said something I shouldn't have said, I feel. There's definitely some smiles on people's faces. I have no idea I shall live in blissful ignorance. The church is a family. The church is a nation. He says one new nation. I don't know if there are any Scots in the room. All I can say to you is unlucky. Unlucky. But in reality, it doesn't, it doesn't matter the nation we come from. That's secondary. What's primary is we have been born again into a new nation. Into, we are part of God's people where he is king. He is the ruler of it all. We form a temple. We are like bricks being cemented together. A dwelling place for God to live by his spirit beforehand most of us the vast majority of you would not have been able to get anywhere close to the temple you'd have been like my friend santino the best we could do is walk around the edge and have a look up but we can get no closer but now because of what jesus christ has done we're not far off we've been brought near by his blood and we're being built together to become a temple where god lives by his spirit just have a look at this um warehouse type structure you're going to find doors and plaster and paint you find steel beams and columns you find heating ducts, lighting, PA equipment and carpet all really, really different um, materials the building wouldn't work very well if all the steel columns said I'm a steel column, I'm only going to hang out of steel columns I'm going over here And if the cladding sheet said, well, I'm not going to get anywhere near the steel columns. I'm going to go over there. Cladding sheets to me. We're all staying close together. The carpet, well, I'm not being rolled out on that dirty floor. Let's just stack up one one carpet carpet tile high and see how high we can go because we don't want to be contaminated by anyone else. What a rubbish building this would be if everything was just siloed up into likeness. We are being built together. That means you get joined to people who are different from you. That's how it works. That's why community groups are so important. Because you can come on a Sunday morning and you're not really connected to anyone. Just sat to the person next to you, but you're not doing life. If someone isn't winding you up in church, you're probably not close enough. Do you know what I mean? There's got to be someone here that, you know, ticks you off, you know, you see him walk in and you're thinking, oh, give me grace, God. <laughs> yep, San is that gift to me. <laughs> not at all. But, but seriously, actually, if, if, you're not, if you're not close enough to get wound up to, by people, you're probably not close enough. You're not being built in. You're one of the bricks on the edge. Just a nice stack of bricks. Looks really nice. Not a lot of earthly goods to the church. We're meant to be built in, we're meant to be close to one another, do life together. This is the manifold wisdom of God. This is what he gives us grace for, that we from all different backgrounds can come and do life together. That's how it's supposed to work. No longer alienated from God, no longer alienated from each other. I wonder how easy would it have been for Paul to have said... Do you know what, Church at Ephesus, let's not bother with this integration thing. Let's have a Jewish church and a non Jewish church. Then I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. But he didn't. The problem with it the problem with being built together when we've got different backgrounds is we have to set aside our preferences. It's the only way it works. Do you know what normally happens in church when we disagree? We divide. That's normally what happens in church. Do you know there are 41,000 different Protestant uh, movements in the world? 41,000. Why? Because every time there was a disagreement, they divided. Why do you think Paul said in the Bible, bear with one another in love? Because sometimes that's exactly what it feels like. How often is it that when people get hurt by the church, rather than working it through, they run away? And they either don't do church anymore, or they join another church and wait to be hurt again. The church isn't perfect. It's a group of very imperfect people looking to follow Jesus and looking to love one another. And just like a family, at times, it all breaks down and doesn't work very well. But how do you respond to that we are so quick to judge we are so quick to build barriers with people who are different from us have you ever have you ever said any of these statements i just got to find them Have you ever said any of these statements? Can you believe what they did? I can't believe they said that. I would never have done that. I would never have said that. There's a danger. If they're the sort of things that come out From you, from me, that you've got a judgmental attitude. That you are taking a position of superiority and looking down on other people. And when you have a judgmental attitude, it causes division. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly, and take the speck out of your brother's eye. For the church at Ephesus, there was a danger that the Jewish Christians would ju- judge the non-Jewish ones. That the non-Jewish Christians would judge the Jewish Christians. That they would take an air of superiority. That they would look down on things that are so secondary in comparison to the primary, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified for me. And in our church here, we are as just as much in danger as they were of division of hostility, of breaking down into groups that suit our personal preferences. Rather than bearing with one another, loving one another, serving one another and growing to know each other and understand one another which is what we're supposed to do as we reflect the manifold wisdom of God. Within this congregation there are people from many, many nations. There are people from different nations financial situations and backgrounds. Church, can I ask you, Paul, let me ask myself, how often when I walk in on a Sunday do I go to the people that I know? How often after this meeting when you're thinking, I'm going to grab a coffee, oh, that's all right, I feel safe with them. We're a new people. We're a different people. We love one another. We put aside personal preferences in order to follow Christ. Can I invite the band back up? Because I really want to break bread as we finish. Thank you. The priest is coming up, so we're all right. Why don't we stand on our feet? The things that I need are probably housed in people that look very different from me. The things that I need in God are probably contained within people who are very different from me. And if I'm going to experience everything God has got for me, I need to step out of my comfort zone and so do you. Let me try and just earth it a little bit for us as the, uh, the band gets a little bit ready. Worship's a big one. Isn't it? Music's a massive thing. Personal preference written all over it. I like classical. I like the latest. Um, I like jazz. I like the latest um, chart music. Um, shows how old I'm getting. I wouldn't have a clue. Um, Yeah, that's it. Sand likes One Direction. (laughs) But personal preference is all over worship. I don't think there's anyone in this auditorium right now that actually fully, totally likes the worship at one level. You'd like it a bit louder. You'd like it a bit quieter. You'd like no drums. You'd like three drum kits. You'd like it longer and lingering. You'd like it shorter and more to the point. It's so important that we come together as a family and worship Jesus. I do not want a church to be built where it's just one little group of society. That does not reflect, that does not reflect God's plan for us. Different nations, different ages, different backgrounds, but that means all of us laying aside personal preferences. Why? Because we love one another and we love God. Let me pick another one. Some of you are thinkers and others of you are fearless. Some of you are just waiting for the word to get up so that the Bible to be preached so you can connect in your mind. For others of you, you cannot wait for me to finish so you can feel and encounter God. Some of you think, if only we had more lingering times in worship, everything would be wonderful. Others of you think, if we just didn't do it, everything would be awesome. A lot of that is personal preference. Do you feel your way first or do you think your way first? We need each other. We need the word of God preached powerfully and effectively and we need to encounter God in the fullness of everything he's got for us. We lay aside personal preferences because we're one people. We're one body. We're a family. We love one another. We love God and we're reflecting something to a broader society. Why don't we just raise our hands? I want you to pray. If you are aware of hostility or judgment in your heart in certain situations, just going to give you a little bit of time now just to repent of it. It's a change of mindset. I'm changing my mind on this. I'm following you, Lord God.